0: Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions, ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash word for more details.
1: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. You're listening to a podcast from the Word.
2: It's a good yarn. It's a yarn which I wasn't really aware of, and didn't think I'd be that interested in. So, do you get but pictures
3: of the old? Uh, what's it called? The Kersal? What's it called? The Kersal Ballroom? Kersal Ballroom. Yeah, I think yeah. there's
2: a bit of that, and there's, there's also. I mean, there's, there's some old, you know, interviews and live. You know, there's quite a bit of sort of live footage of the time because I mean that was their thing wasn't it that was the stick really they completely they, and also I love the, they mythology were the mega City 4 before their time yeah, absolutely the oh, yes, we're, we're, we're going to get the mega City that's 4 before lost on <laughs> me but, but
3: there's a, a brilliant bit in the mythology of the field goods where Wilco um, I think in the, in, the, in the mid 70s believed that this was a kind of um, it was the Mississippi Delta mm. But they were transported to the Essex Delta. Yeah. And he wasn't Wilco Johnson, he was Robert Johnson. <laughs> this yeah. is what he felt in his head. Yeah. There was an incredibly complicated family tree that they all developed where yeah. they're, they're descended from great blues men. And I love yeah. all
0: that stuff. Do you remember what Mick Farren said about Dr. Feelgood uh, in one of the few memorable things ever written in a music, in a music publication? <laughs> Get you? No, it's just things things like that. You you do remember this is a long time ago. So you know, uh, Doctor Field got came together what, like 1974 or something like that. And he said they looked as if they'd met in a singularly unsavoury section of the army. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> where, where, they're, I they're, think Charlie quotes that actually. He was, probably, yeah.
2: Charlie quotes it, so Charlie remembers remember so it. I remember yeah. it. You know, it's
0: just certain phrases like that. You know, still sing across the years. That's what right. Whereas
2: where now most bands. You know, even I was just writing a piece about Hot Chip, look like they're the contents, the average contents of your, your local internet cafe, don't they? Basically, essentially, that's what it looks like. Uh, that's good. That's yeah. true, isn't Dressed it? Dressed down.
0: Well, except sure. you do still see guys on the tube and you think he's got to be in a band, yeah. don't you? There's a certain kind of black mm. uh, garb that, that tends to go with it.
2: Yeah. So he's this, a, this yeah. is a
0: word podcast. It's so
2: exciting to have Steve Lamack. Steve Lamack in, anyway. Lamack in the is... podcast. And, uh, so this is the bit where you now fade up because usually I'm quite disappointed because usually it fades up at the we've point where we've probably faded it up now. Well, well, usually it comes in with David doing the punchline to an amazing story that you <laughs> know. know. And and so sure. and, and that's why Joe Jackson would never play with Elvis <laughs> Costello. And you go, what? what was that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, what and was we'll that? be hearing from Van Morrison's lawyers later. Oh, you cut it out.
0: Yeah, <laughs> 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 no, we didn't do that this week because we threw in a free review of Oil City Confidential. Is that what <laughs> the uh, Doctor
2: Phil- yeah. Films called? That's good.
0: Yes. Do you think it's Very amazing you get that? those films made Mm. still nowadays and you can get them released well, yeah, it's
2: strange. I'm I mean, involved uh, myself with a film about Creation Records. It is quite difficult. I mean, it will take When's years. When's that coming out? It's called Up, Upside Down. Upside Down. It. Yeah, yeah. It was well, spring, late spring. But I mean, the, the I mean, it's a mindful. If you don't know anything about film, having to get to grips with distribution and companies who back you, you know, just a bank bankroll. You know, idea how long it takes to edit a film. Um, so I mean, even true. now, Danny O'Connor, the director, is somewhere buried away, in, you know, in Soho, working on this night and day because when I mean, we, I mean, we've interviewed we did 111 interviews so we've done everyone from the Weather prophets right the way back all Fantastic. the way through so
3: you, well, you've done these
2: interviews and I've done well I've done, I did a lot of the sort of some of the I suppose what you call some of the key figures so I did uh, Noel we did some uh, great um, interviews at the 100 Club for uh, a setting. it looks really nice uh, but we did Noel and uh, I did Bobby Gillespie and Jim really? Reid on the same day <laughs> now that's a lot of Scottish grumpiness in one day that, but, that is. but rock and roll attitude proper rock and roll yeah. attitude and talking about you know how Essentially, they couldn't have had them, they wouldn't have had their records released by anyone else, not in the 80s. There was no no opportunity, nowhere else to go. And they are
3: remarkably unchanged, those two guys. Yeah, absolutely. Bobby Gillespie lives around the corner from the word office, actually. He has a child called Wolf. Really? Oh, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and that's a that darts player. A, a and jolt was, of pain in your eyes there. He actually <laughs> yeah. lives near
0: Caroline Grimshaw. Occasionally it does work for us. And uh, he was apparently, we'll he was there. taking Hello, he was taking steps legally to get the local pub to turn down the music late at night because really? it was, you know, it was disturbing the oh, sleep of rich. Wolf. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you interviewed a hundred and some, you know, former creation musicians, employees, yeah. whatever. And Alan but, McGee four times. Oh, really? Four times. So the Boo So out of all those people, who did you find most changed? You must have found somebody who'd kind of gone away to be a, you know, a a vicar or something like that. Yeah, I mean,
2: there's a a few. Danny's done some of the, you know, some of the people from some of the past, you know, from some of the, I suppose, what, that classic 80s era. But a lot of them have still got their hand in somewhere along the line of doing something or other but um, yeah, I think it was interesting. I mean, it's, it's weird when you talk to—I mean, even sort of bands that I was covering at the NME—and you start thinking, man, it was 20 years ago since that Ride EP came out. And so you meet Mark Gardner and Andy Bell. Obviously, his life has changed immensely, is not it? Going from you know a string of bands that almost did—I mean, were yeah. big. In, a, in the indie sense, but you know, playing the huge arenas that he must have done in South America, you know, with, with they, they had their
3: moment in the sun,
2: right? right they, play, they? they made some great records. Right, were one of those classic bands that, you know, their first EP, I think if it came out now, would probably be deemed, you know, classic indie landfill, but actually they had a lot more <laughs> in them. Indie <laughs> the One but of yeah. the questions, <laughs> is, one of the questions.
0: We've been asking for questions <laughs> from The Massive, uh, for Steve Lemack, mm. and one of them was... What do you think of the concepts of landfill indie, or or is it indie landfill? I forget I forget. It's, it's Andrew Harrison India, that yeah, coined yeah, it. Coined this phrase. It's yeah. landfill
2: indie. Go on. What, what do you think? Do you think there's any justification for it? Yeah, I mean, I suppose. I mean, you know, as somebody who listens to an awful lot of what you know people would term indie music, there's an awful lot of rubbish. But as always was with us, you know, the I think the only problem now is there's so much more of it being released because it's so easy to put a record out. I mean, all you have to do is get a bunch of CDRs and you can say you've got a single out and then you send it to somebody. And I think people send records out maybe too early. I always used to say to bands, you know, if you've got a demo... Now th- think about that, demo How much better do you think you're going to be in six months' time? They always go, loads. We'll be loads better. So why are you sending me this then? <laughs> yeah. You know, because you're not obviously ready. But there's an impatience, I, an know, inherent I impatience. In with this.
3: Because uh, the, another thing that I, I think is true now is that when, uh, in the era of five, or ten years ago, when you pretty much had to have a record deal, mm. that in its sense was a part of the selection process. Yeah. Somebody had to like your music enough mm. to believe it was worth investing in you uh, and putting you in a decent studio and stuff. And now, obviously, there isn't that. Kind Quality control, that monitor going on. Absolutely. So you and I can make a record this afternoon, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be any good. Yeah. So
0: isn't that the great irony, though? That the, the, the indie was a kind of uh, rebellion against the gatekeepers, mm. supposedly, who you know, the, the taste makers, you know, radio DJ, radio and playlist committee, EMI, A and R producers, or whatever. And then it, it sort of ended up. You have to bring all those things back mm. because you have to somehow select. Out of this massive, great torrent of stuff, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. That, that, you know, which is something that people don't
2: don't easily take to heart. Well, no, I think I, I think that's you know, but there, we don't make there isn't that selection process partly in a way because the change in attitude is. People don't invest in the band thinking, "Oh, I want to like this band in two years' time." i will be surprised if they like them in two months' time. Because now, if the band Precisely. turns out not to be any good, there's a hundred other ones that you just move on to. And I think that's what's happening. So you don't sort of you don't find those bands. I mean, if you're not prepared to lie down in front of a moving vehicle for a band, then why invest in them? You know, that's that's yeah. what I was brought up to believe in my own head. But you don't get that so much anymore. That level that of commitment, good. the there's young people track today. Coming. Yeah, it doesn't matter though. <laughs> really. It's just a different way of looking at it, isn't it? But, but that means that you are going to have this massive turnover of bands, and everyone's got a chance. And of course, all avenues of communication are open to everyone all over the world. So here we go with deluge with this stuff. But the actual the actual term is a bit, you know, if it's indie was to, was a derogative term for a while, wasn't it? So this is like now the super indie, you know, uh, in terms in, of in,
3: indie meant inept, yeah, think, for a while, and shambling yeah.
2: and unfinished
3: and Ragged. Did it? And I think it did. Originally, it made, yes, it did. It
0: made an independent label, When not No, but when Peel
3: was playing yeah. records by groups like Helen and the Horns and maybe Desperate Bicycles, actually, I think it was probably mm. the first indie record that I can remember mm. k- registering as indie. And the whole point of the Desperate Bicycles, I'm sure you'll remember. Mm. Don't you remember the, the Bicycles? No. No? <laughs> Fraser? <Yeah. laughs> oh, you do? Well, that's oh, good. Yeah. All right. All right. 75% yeah. of it, a big fan of us, a big fan of the Bicycles. Um, that, the whole point was it was just lo-fi, hopeless, untruth Tunes, wasn't it? You know, not. Yeah, although
2: well, had to, I mean, it sort of had a, its own ambition, didn't it? It wanted yeah. it to be so. It basically its proved was, that you Let's could get do it it. on the Peel Show, and that's, we don't want to achieve any more than that, probably. Yeah, and we're, we're happy to, you know, get a record out. If, because we want to get a record out because we've got something to stu- uh, say, and we've got a statement to make. Yeah. Now, that's probably what's lacking in 99% of what we're hearing at the moment. If there is a difference, there is no statement to make. I was trying to explain. that's good. I was trying to explain oh, yeah, trying to, explain yeah, to some point. parents of a band. I went to see a band the other day, and they're all 17 years old. And it's quite. A, I mean, they're quite good. I've been mean, out of the demos I've been sent. It's worth going to the bar fly on a Tuesday night to see this band, you know, uh, who were first on or second on. Um, but after the gig, I was standing outside and I thought they're the parents. <laughs> so I went over just to have a to have a bit of a chat. And I was, you know, I was saying, yeah, how long are these, how long have you lads been playing? All ages, you know, quite a, quite a long time. Now, and this is the real key difference, I think, in the seventies and early eighties. Loads of there were bands who were bands even before they picked up an instrument and they had amazing ideas. And they had they'd written their manifesto. Yeah, they knew absolutely. they stood for something, uh, and they couldn't play. But now I think there's a lot of you know a lot more young kids are picking up guitars aged age fourteen, fifteen. You know they're playing guitar at school. They're forming bands when they're thirteen or fourteen. They're brilliant musicians. With nothing we don't to say, no, that's so we've a gone. Very good point. So we've gone from one extreme to the other. There must be a middle ground where people have got so something to say did, and why can do you play. Think that but it's, it's such gone. A do
0: you see what I mean? Yeah. Do you see what I mean? a supplementary question. I guess this is tied up with something that I've been writing for the actually for the next issue of Word, talking about recording studios and bands being able to record in studios. And I asked a producer recently. I so said, "I said, it seems to me that I go and see bands nowadays, and they can play better mm. than they used to." He said, "Well, anybody can play live." He said, in a studio, it was a totally different thing. Mm. You know, anybody can master the technology of just playing live, whereas mastering the dynamics required in a studio to make a record, to put your sound on on a CD, is a lot more difficult.
2: Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, I think you can only teach somebody to a certain level, and then you have to go away and you have to work it out for yourself, don't you? But uh, in terms of schooling, I mean, we have rock schools all over the country now as well. But it's all about being able to play well again, whereas, go back to what you were talking about, It didn't matter whether you could play well, but you had something to say.
3: Yeah. So, yeah. which of those? You see, that's really interesting because I first met you, I think, when you just left New Musical Express and mm. started working at Select, mm. which I was involved with. And there was that whole period, which is covered in your fantastic book, Going Deaf for a Living, mm-hmm. which is ride, uh, moose, curve, lots of group float, lots of groups with single syllable names. No, Lush. Lush. Come on, that We've got five. Uh, come on, let's I've get them <laughs> uh, There were lots more. But they, um, you know, th- that was an era of people sort of having something to say. Say, weren't they? I mean, uh, so which were the ones particularly you think uh, had a message? You
2: know, well, it's uh, it's weird, isn't it? Because there's there's sort of there was the bands that I mean, I suppose that pre- I mean when you say they had, they had something to say, I think that was the sort of reinvention in a way of that sort of great bedroom angst era. Yeah, but it was something which got underneath your skin, and they obviously managed to touch um, uh, a nerve with people. You know, and associate, uh, identify what certain people were thinking at the time. But that, I think, was acted as a precursor then for the Manic Street Preachers, because the preachers would come along you know, and say, look, look at these sho- um, shoegazing bands with nothing to say. Well, they're not saying anything to us, well, they're not saying anything about the bigger world. And then off we went again, you know, with all these... Pl- yeah, now we can't,
0: we can't leave the Manic Street Preachers uh, just there without uh, referring to something that some, some people have asked questions about. And, and other people listening to this won't know anything about, actually, that you were there... Uh, in your NME hat at hmm. the time for one of the most extraordinary um,
2: incidents of this particular era. Yeah, the Norwich Arts Centre. I went to because there was a there was a point I think where I was working at the New Musical Express and there was a lot of Manic Street Preachers fans. I think James Brown swells, God rest his soul, and various people who'd and I I didn't feel they were questioning the Mannix enough. They were just blindly accepting, you know, the the all the sort of statements. It was very bold stuff. And, um, but no-one actually said, actually, though, are they any good? Do they know what they're talking about? So I was live reviews editor at the time, so I commissioned myself to go and review them at the Norwich Arts Centre on a Tuesday night, and I went with Ed Surz, the photographer, and Philip Hall, who oh, was yeah, uh, yeah. managing him, uh, who drove us up there, and we, we met the band at uh, a and b where they were staying. I think James was watching a Nottingham Forest you know, uh, this shows you how long ago it is, Nottingham Forest European Cup time. (laughs) Or something. But it it was actually, it was James the one who wouldn't talk at all before the gig, um, anyway, so we turned up, saw the gig, there were probably about 50 people there, um, they played, you know, a derisory, 30 minutes, I think, and it was reasonably exciting, I have to admit, but you also, put it into context, we'd just seen the very rapid rise and fall of Birdland just before that, and, you know, you're thinking, oh, I don't know, is this just going to be the same, is this going to just blow itself out, yeah, like some yeah. sort of, you know, fa- uh, pho- uh, punk storm, and... Um, so we did an interview afterwards and, you know, I, just put, I put some questions to them and Richie, I think, thought that I was being, not harsh, but didn't get it. I think that was what he, he felt, I'd, I think, that I didn't understand what they, what they, where they came from and what they'd been brought, you know, their upbringing in Wales and how they'd invested in rock and roll they really properly had and the ideas of the power of rock and roll, what you could do with it. Um, and they weren't
3: particularly used to people um, not going along with them, actually. Yeah, I think they so. had a very easy ride at the beginning. Yeah, Nobody seemed to call any uh, yeah. uh, shots, you know. But
2: at the, so after, so the interview finished, and a, a few moments later, Richie came over to me and said, uh, you know, have you got a couple of minutes? And led us to, it's sort of by the stage and then sort of back behind, there was, I don't know, the, it wasn't into a room, it was literally by the side of the stage. And um, started explaining once again what, you know, he felt the Manic Street Preachers' sound uh, stood for. And um, as, he, as he was doing so, and he, I guess he must have had a razor blade to hand. It's not something you just look down and there it is. Uh, and began writing into his arm. And obviously at the time you couldn't really and see... the
3: words for real. For real. But yeah. you
2: couldn't see why he was writing at the time because, and I hate to, I hate to use the phrase, uh, this, uh, the first cut was the deepest. <laughs> <laughs> and well, and it started, you've done this before. It started, it? It started ble- <laughs> bleeding profusely. But the thing, that was, I mean, people say to me, you know, why didn't you stop him? I said, well, did you think he wanted me to stop him? And also, it happened so quickly. And we, we, we never started. There was barely a point where eye contact was broken as we were talking. I mean, he'd look down occasionally just to make sure, obviously, he was still writing in the right bit. Um, but that explains actually, how, how he how badly
3: had, executed it is, then. Yeah, here yeah, it's, it's not very good for a podcast, I know, but I'm just finding a picture in your book of that, and it you is see, so that cut there, look disgusting. Oh, it's an enormous wound.
0: So y- you didn't say, "Oh, don't do that; you'll hurt yourself." You know, like a normal, you know, you well, do t- it was
2: something. I mean, to be quite, I mean, to be quite honest, it was something I'd just never confronted, and I don't think many people had. I mean, the whole. I mean, self-harm hadn't become something... It wasn't something. an issue. Yeah, well, it wasn't, though, I don't think. and I, <laughs> no, you know, and right. even So when people saw it, I think people naturally assumed that that was the first time he'd done it, when I don't believe that it, it was. All and, right. um, you know, if you sit back and think, if somebody did that now, you think, well, there's a very troubled man. Yeah, yeah. But at the time, it was a rock and roll statement. Yeah. How long was that before he died? Oh, it's, uh, quite a while. Uh, oh, yeah, quite, quite a while. while. Yeah, yeah. Quite, although I never spoke to him again um, afterwards. He phoned up to apologise, left a message on my aunt's phone at work. Um, but obviously, the, the whole thing just blew, so, blew from there on. So obviously, you didn't you didn't
0: stop him doing it. But did you? Was that that professional th- thing at the back of your mind? Go. Were, were your ears buzzing and thinking, "Oh my I God, know. I've got something I here." Like the story. <laughs> Surely that's <laughs> what you think. On well, the rare occasions people do something like that. Yeah,
2: not at the time. I mean, at the at the time, I was quite curious to see what he was doing. I was still listening to what he was saying. He was, you know, he was saying, "We're not this and we're not that. And we are for real," and. Um, And then then my next thought was, well, we're going to have to stop this interview and do something about this, because that looks like it hurts. Well, it did actually, rather rather pathetically, I ended the interview by saying, look, you're bleeding on the carpet. And at that point, uh, Ran and got um, Philip uh, and said to, said to Philip, I said, I think you should, you know, because Philip was talking to somebody at the time, and it's not one of those things that you want to say, your guitarist has just taken a razor blade to himself. If, if you're talking to somebody, I don't know, it's the promoter or the local yeah, press absolutely. or whoever, I thought, I think you should go and see Richie, he's, uh, he's, in a, he's in a bit of a state. And Philip said, oh, he's always like that after a gig. And I went, no, no, no. He's no. bleeding go, on the cock. <laughs> <the gig." So laughs> really? really the star, the I've never seen this is But he had absolutely spellbinding eyes. That's the one thing I remember. It, his eyes you know, compelling eyes and his argument and the way he spoke and everything was What I mean it was yeah. So but people, it happened like that. People were asking about you know, you've been backstage millions of times. Do you find it a disappointment or not? I try not to go backstage. Um, I always like the fact that Peel used to um, come on at uh, Reading Festival and uh, paint this picture at backstage <laughs> at Reading. And says, oh, you know, I've just been for a slash in our marble toilets. You know, there's palm trees backstage. Make it out as if it's some big thing, whereas we all know that backstage is just a place for musicians, and it's just not a place you really want to hang out. You feel uncomfortable. I always feel uncomfortable, even if I go on tour with a band. When I follow, you know, bands on tour, I try and just turn up for the gig rather than spend too much time with them because you just get in the way if you're not doing anything you know i've been, never, i've ended up joining the t-shirt sellers and why you, there, they no, they don't want you there, be there because
3: they're talking no. about you know guitar tunings and uh, you know middle
0: ages and stuff presumably yeah, yeah absolutely. i love and women. Being there. okay <laughs> yeah. i love being there do you backstage? Yeah, Love well, it. What is it? Well, 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 just because you, you can write about the kind of rhythm of the thing. I think you, you, can, you can write about it as an enterprise. That's the thing that fascinates me. Um, Give us an example of a backstage uh, environment. Well, mm-hmm. well, I mean, there are all kinds of different ones, you know, because I suppose there's le- loads of the legendary ones are unbelievably shabby, aren't they? You know? Oh, yeah. Hammersmith yeah. Odeon. And, you know, Manchester know I remember Academy. the old marquee, I mean, the dressing room, back behind the stage of the El Marquee was literally like a, the, the world's most horrible-smelling broom cupboard, you know, just enough for in the graffiti. band to tumble off. Yeah. You know? But that, that's, that's kind of interesting from the point of view of the squalor. You know, mm. the squalor that people have to undergo is kind of part of what they do. And then at the other end of the scale, I suppose, you go backstage to some huge stadium show in the States or something like that with some hugely professional outfit like Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. And what's fascinating is the professionalism, mm. is to be able to see that operating, you mm. know, that kind of honed way of doing things and how they managed to negotiate their way between being mates and having huge professional distance. Yeah, I'm absolutely fascinated by that. And I've also, you know, I've got this theory that, you know, that if a courtier from the court of Louis Fourteenth returned tomorrow and was Plunged backstage at a rock and roll gig, he would know exactly what was going on. You mm. know, it's all about hierarchy. You well, know. you know where and you that, get... all that stuff just fascinates me. It helps yes, me write. You
2: know, you know where you get that most catering that's yes. really where you see the separation oh, whether yeah. whether a band has two separate catering one for bands and one for crew or, for the artists, or whether yeah. crew and band are still together but even so crew will sit over here band will sit down this end of you know the table or will have a separate two tables to themselves
0: and rock and roll that's bands great. they do they effectively big ones they have servants don't they they do they but have but they, 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 they have personal road crew and mm. so forth you know they're people to do stuff they have people to mm. deal between them and the ordinary world, the stuff that the rest of us have to do. It's like movie stars do the same thing.
3: But Dave's absolutely right, because most of them, and the, Bruce Springsteen's E Street Band is an extremely good example, have perfected that way of appearing to be matey, yeah. but still being completely in charge. Yeah, yeah. I'm paying for this, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I, if, I, if I want my guitar strings changed, eight people can do it for me immediately. But they still remember everybody's names. But you know. well, when they're getting ready to
0: go on stage, as an example. Bruce Springsteen will not stand out in the corridor waiting for the rest of the band. The rest of the band will slowly assemble, and then he will come out. So those, uh, those kind of things, you mm. know. I'm sure it's the same in football teams or whatever, you know. But it's a sort of a reminder yeah. that there is hierarchy here, you know. Yeah.
2: And it fascinates me, that sort of stuff. He's got an incredible work ethic, hasn't he, Bruce Springsteen? I was, I mean... You know how some rock stars, you're just not in the right place at the right time for them. So, you know, I suppose I just miss Bruce Springsteen. I mean, it's not that I disliked him or anything. He just, he didn't make a record when I needed him no, to right. make an Have important record him in my since? life. Well, uh, I was sent last year by the BBC to go and interview him, oh, um, ahead oh, of the Glastonbury good. Festival. So, and we, we went out to Norway. He was doing two nights on the, oh, on the, on the East min- Coast of his port. And, um... And so we saw the, you know, we arrive, we see, the, we see the show, well, we arrive, we stand outside for an hour, you know, just waiting to try and affect entry through the, you know, the massive pass that you need to get yourself yeah. backstage. And um, and then we see the first show, and it was, it was you know, a classic. I think it clocked in just under three hours, finished at quarter to midnight. And uh, the next day I get to, you know, I, I get my half an hour with, with Springsteen. But all the while just noticing, and this is the one thing you're saying about being backstage, is you can tell something about somebody's character like Bruce even en route to the stage on the first night had um, a member of the local crew explaining how to say hello thank you very much and everything in the local town ta- everything you know, ca- can you teach me these key phrases in Norwegian? and he had bef- so we- the next day when we interviewed him he had all his set lists I didn't realise he did this the- keeping the set list uh, uh, on file so he'd got the set list from the last time he was in Norway so he could write a set list of different songs so he didn't repeat himself from two years ago Fantastic. Really a, lot a lot of work going, <laughs> going oh, on behind the scenes.
3: <laughs>
1: Absolutely. The Word. A magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life.
3: Then let's talk about the lurkers. Oh right, you had your first gigs, no right, Because you yeah, see, yeah. I've i read I've read, uh, I've read uh, Steve's book, which so I think is really, really. I think it came out a while ago, didn't it? When did your book come out? It's nearly it?
2: ten, yeah, 2001, ten years, two thousand and one. Actually, oh, it's, but ten, years, it's somebody ten years. somebody's complaining years they can't get a copy. It's out of print. Well, that's because the BBC pulps it brilliantly. I, I went through the same. BBC for, publishers, yeah, pulps it, pulped it. Yeah, well, they. A license fee. They well, I, I, it was my first experience of being anywhere like or uh, going through anything that a band might have gone through, um, because it's just like if you sign to a publisher, it's the like signing to a major label and if your head of A&R leaves and a new head of A&R comes in he might not, might not like your band as much as you know the previous the guy who signed you essentially so they were going to reissue it uh, or do a second run with it um, but, then, but then brilliantly a new guy took over and said no, nah, you know what we want we, know, we want a Bob Harris book so they put out a Bob Harris book and pulped mine so that's it, that's why you that, can't that, get out. That, that, did that tells print, you something culturally. Did they, pr- <laughs> did did they, they print bobs out it? of the reconstituted
0: paper? they've got Did they type bobs on the back uh, of yeah, it? Yeah. Or <laughs> to, to write about the
3: little river band <laughs> on, 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 on recycled paper, which is originally about the learning. <laughs> And ride and my bloody valentine. There's, actually, there's various topics. There was one, one where you talk about the loudest group you'd ever heard, which at that stage I think was my bloody valentine. Yeah, my. Would that v- still be the still case? Are, I yeah. love that.
2: I love the loudest group. I think so. Yeah, I think so. So I mean, you've yeah, never seen
3: them, crooked vultures?
2: Um, no. Well, I've, I saw them at, at Reading. That doesn't count. You can't be loud at a festival, no. can you? That's, no, you that's can't. the thing. Um, so, <laughs> it so says with disappointment. Well, yes. I <laughs> It's one of the reasons, I mean, I go to enormous, you know, loads of festivals, professionally, but I never went to festivals as a kid, because I always, I always assumed that the best sound would probably be, you know, being blown somewhere into a ditch, probably about a mile away from actually where you were standing, and it's never as intimate, you know. I mean, obviously, it's a, it's a great communal triumph of all the fans from around the country joining together and celebrating a band's success, but it's not... It's not the science, It's not music. <laughs> it's it's It's, life. Of, it's, it's ritual, it's, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, Look, I've got to rough. read this
3: bit out. It's just this made me laugh out loud on the tube. This is a bit um, quite late on in your book. Where I think you're at New Musical Express, and you say, um, "So that said, I'm not anti-glamour. I'm not anti-big gig." Not all the time, anyway, but I am anti-sitting down. I had a furious (laughs) run-in once with a security man at an orchestral manoeuvres gig at the Hammersmith Odeon, now the Apollo. Didn't he understand it was bad enough seeing the (laughs) ageing OMD plod through their set without being forced to sit through the whole thing? So I love that, because this is a major controversy on on the word uh, podcast and websites, this whole idea of a lot of people think the opposite, you see. Maybe Definitely. it's an age thing, but... It's a height thing I love the idea of you, well. that you'd rather, Just to alleviate the tedium, at least you can stand. Presumably because you feel more involved. Stand right? and walk around. Well, yeah, you do. And walk around.
2: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm having enough trouble uh, learning how to sit down at a football match, let alone sitting down at a gig, because now Colchester United have moved to an all-seater stadium. But the whole idea was, you can stand and you can move about. I and mean, if you move... If you, know, if, you, if you have to sit at a gig, you've got no choice who you sit next to. No choice whatsoever. And if somebody... You know, I've done this myself, I must admit. But if somebody's singing all the words slightly <laughs> wrong, very loud, you know, next to you, you think, oh, am I wouldn't mind moving now? <laughs> <laughs> but you can't. Which, which gigs have you done that at? I'm really interested in that. <laughs> oh, you know. loads of old, yeah, I mean, loads of probably senseless, Happy senseless <laughs> things. Happy senseless You know, all those, all those. Even now, though, Pete and the Pirates. That's it. I'm <laughs> <off>. <laughs> Pete and the Pirates. Gold Heart Assembly the other week. I caught myself doing it. Actually singing out loud at the Monarch. <laughs> the big the big chorus hitting the big the big top yeah, note yeah
3: God, that's fantastic. Yeah. But I love that. But also, I suppose, I, I felt reading your book, partly it's, you feel
2: disrespectful also if you're sitting down.
3: Don't you like to feel involved? Or, I don't well, know, I, I,
2: think, I, I think, you see, I maintain you get more of a crowd atmosphere. You know, I think uh, if you sit down, it's just, oh, there's just something about sitting down. What would you, rather, would you rather go to the Brixton Academy and stand in this big, you know, mass of people? I loved, first time I ever saw the Ramones, and it was quite late on, but it was at the Lyceum. And I started, I got there, and, you know, I'm not the tallest, fellow in the world, but I managed to find somewhere I could vaguely see, and this is in front of the sound desk, probably about two thirds of the way back. The Ramones came on one, two, three, four. Straight into the first song. Halfway through the first song, Bear in mind, the songs about two minutes long, two and a half minutes long. Halfway through the first song, I was over by the gents' toilets. Then I was propelled somewhere else. It was just this whole mass of people. With well, your feet you off the can, ground. Yeah, oh, just I've, moving I've around. I I've that experience. it's amazing. Oh, well, yeah. you've
0: been lifted
3: off the ground. Yeah, the Stone Roses. At you. Christian Academy. Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. I just I used to really love the Stone That's Roses. So and I really wanted to be right near the front. I think they're magnificent. I still do. And uh, me and these two mates of we suddenly discovered that we had travelled across the floor. We're tall. Yeah. i like, trying to say, we with our feet not on the ground. Yeah. It was the most <laughs> bizarre experience. Dave, you've never had this experience. No. Brady, you've had it. Come on. You. Oh, yeah. yeah. Randy Newman, it happens all the time. Yeah. Don't arm a trading <laughs> gig. gigs, <so>, you know. <laughs> oh, all hell breaks loose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, nobody's yeah, safe. Somebody
0: breaks a knife. Badly sprained ankle. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, yes. But you see, I have to say, you know, to put the opposite point of view, um, I think at any gig, any standing gig, at least a third of the people are not having a good time because they can't mm. see. Well Because they're not tall enough, you know, and I speak not just of women, you know, but, you know, the blokes are getting taller, there's no doubt about it. And so you will be standing mm. behind people six foot four who are not going to move for you at all.
2: No, I mean no, that's true. I mean but isn't there I mean that's why somewhere like the forum is a great gig. Well you have a choice. You, yeah, sit upstairs and that's what you need, isn't it? A Absolutely. If you want to go and sit, that's fine. Yeah. If you want to stand that's fine. But don't don't make us all sit. That's what I'm saying. No, no, do no. Do you I still to go that?
3: to the same... As, uh, you once had a competition with someone, I think it might have been Mick Mercer at the mm-hmm. NME, that you would see you could do 200 gigs in a year. Yeah. And you let yourself down badly uh, by, I think, only clocking up 170.
2: No, 197. Oh, all right. I was <laughs> three... <laughs> no, no. That's what? Three, was, did you get Ill? three... I yeah, no, you lost um, your
3: fall, lost your shape towards I, the end of the match. I saw <laughs> Lost you got, your focus. You're taken off by your the composure. <laughs> you showed a lot of character up to that point.
2: <laughs> I got within an inch, I saw, I think it was I can't remember it was two days before Christmas or whether it was the Boxing Day, but I went to see a band called Ghost Dance and I lost the will to live and never went out again. It was such a shocking gig. Well, they, well, they were so terrible that night. And I had such a, a property. I want and, to know. No, Steve, you must have a very forgiving nature to go and see. As many bands as you do. Mm. What was so bad like about oldies. Ghost Dance? I think, I think you know, Ghost, Ghost Dance for me were going to be this, you know, slightly uh, gloomy, dark, and inspiring goth type of band. And they turned up, and I think they just signed to a major label. And she, the singer, came out looking like I want to be Debbie Harry. No, it looked a bit more like Kim Wilde or something. They had all Christmas party balloons going on. It just didn't feel. It was right too much. happy. It, it was. <laughs> That's not why I went to a ghost dance. Yeah. They're not going to welcome people soul in, a, in a raincoat, are <laughs> no, they, with Dr. Martin's? <laughs> I, I roll prob- up. I probably, under my breath, as I was storming out, went, sell out. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of
0: the questions that uh, people like Bad Art
2: Dog asks uh, Steve discovered Coldplay. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, well, not exactly. I was the first person to play them. Um, it was actually my friend Simon Williams who phoned me up and said. Um, uh, do you want to come and see this band I saw them oh, I think he would seen them about a month before at the Bull and Gate in Kennystown uh, and they were playing you know, a Tuesday night at the at the Falcon so um, I went along there were about I don't know probably four people from the music industry three people there uh, in fact Caroline from BMG Publishing I think had maybe almost signed them by that point anyway so but there were other people who got there first, but I was the first person to to play them. Yeah, and well, I mean, literally, you don't have many of those nights where you see a band, or at least at that point, see a band who was so ready, so right. Oh, this, this is you don't need another six. They months. were, were they? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they were just they they were great. I mean, a real you know jaw on the floor type of thing. I mean, you, I, if you go and see a lot of geeks, you know when something's. Something's good, and they were really good. Give us a few examples of other people you saw
3: in the real early days, the the people who went on to achieve enormous success, but you Um, saw them probably in the Camden Volk, actually, where you've seen seen most things.
2: Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of, I suppose, you know, bands like, I mean, I saw the Sundays in front of, you know, 14 people or something, the Coldplay gig, there was probably about 30 people there. I mean, even more recently, I suppose, somebody like Florence, from Florence and the Machine, you know, two years before... We know where we are now, and you know this. This album's done so extraordinarily well for her. She looked really quite uncomfortable on the stage. Now she looks so assured. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, what do you think about the whole business that you know the the happy hunting ground of indie was always this idea that there were loads and loads of un, undiscovered, unrecognized talent out there. Yeah. Whereas nowadays we we seem to have entered this period of madness where. You know, Florence and the Machine last year at this time, and you know this year it's somebody else. That mm. that the acts of 2010 are being featured on the BBC nine o'clock news in mm. January, as if it's already it's already been decided. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. This this whole process of discovery mm. has now been packaged up as who is it does this survey of you know of everybody else's picks of you know yeah. who's going to be the big thing of 2010? Do you think people feel that? They're sort of over-spoon-fed, this stuff nowadays. Yeah, a
2: little. I mean, I'm not a big fan. I mean, I used to. We used to spend hours on, you know, our tips of the year at the NME and argue, you know, about <laughs> it vociferously for you know, ages. Basically, it doesn't really matter. I, I, I'm sort of with you. I don't like the idea that this, you know, list... Because the, the BBC Sound Poll has almost now become a sort of Mercury Prize of <clears> the <throat> tipsters' polls, hasn't it, in a way? And you think, who are these mysterious 150 people who have, you know, come up with this list and how did they... Um, and does it become a self-fulfilling prophecy if you put well, all these? It certainly out? seems to. You know, we were, were interesting this year because it's? I don't think it's as strong a list this year as it was last year to be honest, this, this current list of tips. Who are sure
3: they? Give us some examples.
2: Um, well, the good ones, I mean, Delphic are on it. I think Delphic's album's pretty good. Uh, and, uh, you know, this is a cl- classic case of how many bands are uh, having a second crack uh, at it now? Because they almost got it right, and this goes back to what we were saying earlier on, but it wasn't quite right. So they sort of go away, change their name, alter the style of what they're doing, find actually what it is that they really want to do, and then they returned because Delphic used to be a bank Snow Snowfight in the city centre, who I saw once at the bar flight. And of were, course. They were, and they were good then.
3: Snowfight in the city centre. Dave would have seen Dave down the old wash there. Yeah. Spraining an ankle as he
2: lot, Lifted aloft. Lifted aloft. <laughs> <Bar>. One moment <laughs> he's at ramble. the bar. That's it. One moment. Of he's, cider, he's in the the cruise. <laughs> Actually,
3: we bought some Chris. Yeah. God. We're going we to talk about Chris Flavors right. Oh, you, we're going to talk yeah. about Chris. I think we all open this. You we, should crisp sex. I think we should eat them all. Well, we should eat them We should eat them. Because can't. there's a brilliant interview with Steve about, was it a couple of years ago, Rob Fitzpatrick was doing a series in, in Word called Prisoner of Rock and Roll. Yeah. And uh, you were pretty much the opening uh, person, I think. And, and the whole idea was, does... Steve Lamack live on cider
0: and Chris. Well, and the, actually, the I think he probably did. Well, there were oh, well, two questions got here from actually from Twitter. Jeez, does Chris he live on down, cider and crisps, or does he, as I think Mark Ratcliffe was suggested, no, live on like peanuts it. and string? <laughs> well, that's <laughs> string. That's very
3: good. <laughs> I don't know if that got that got
0: uh, think, you know that got changed in the in the um, transmission of the message, but I, I like th- the idea of peanuts and I string. I This
2: is. Um, When um, I managed to get a couple of um, friends tickets for the Reading Festival this year, and about two weeks later, this box turned up at my house. Special delivery, Steve Plamac. Will you sign for this? I thought, I'm not expecting a box. What is this box? I opened up the box and it was there. Thanks very much for getting us in. And you know, like in, you know, in pubs they have those sort of cardboard displays, and you rip the packets off. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a naked so, girl behind. Them. No, they don't. I don't think <laughs> they do <don't, they> <laughs> anymore. But there were three of these marked, and there was um, bacon fries, <laughs> breakfast, uh, lunch, uh, mini cheddars lunch <laughs> and cheese moments for a snack in the evening so that's Perfect. there you need want perfect you to go to the supermarket for another no, no, fortnight done no. <laughs> there could be a
0: nuclear war you'd be, you'd be yes. happy for months absolutely but you do eat normal food as well though yeah every other day or so <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: what do you think here's another bit in your book right you're talking about these groups that you love the the, 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 the pop Car Carter the Unstoppable Sex Machine oh, yeah. Spiral Carpets Family Cat actually I think Fraser was a member of the Family Cat a roadie that's right
2: that's, uh, the senseless things. Yeah. Snuff. Oh,
3: right. Mega City Four. We, uh, do am I right in thinking that the casualty rate for those groups for that particular area is much higher? than it was for the groups that I used to watch when I was about 15, and many of whom are still going. You know, Stackridge, Wishbone Ash, Roy Harper. These guys are still around. Mm. Whereas, actually, there was a period in the 90s where people had a huge... Happy Mondays is a really good... Actually, they probably are still going, but there's a really good example of a group that had all that success. Mm. they on the cover of all the music papers. Appeared They looked like they were in position to be... Something enormous that was going to last. I, you see, Great I'm,
2: Easter Island statues, you know, they weren't at all. Did you? Did you have this? I mean, I, I didn't go to uni, but I've DJed a, a lot of universities down down the years, and I was trying to work this that's out. Good. Did you go to um, uni? just to DJ? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. that, very good advice, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, did go you go on. to Keel? Yeah, I think it was September. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> Yeah, there's still over 200 quid. But but there was a sort of, and I noticed it, I first noticed this when um, a couple of my mates went to university, and one of them got into a band called Indians in Moscow. And they played there that. in his in his first term, yeah. and he went along to see. And I suppose in the old days, you know, this would be going back to about eighty four or something. There was probably a bar promotion on. Maybe they started to do these things, I guess. Yeah. But he went along, free to get in. Really liked them. They played again the next term. He went along to see him again. And for the three years at university, he was an Indian Mos- Indians in Moscow fan. But since as as he left, got a proper job, and he didn't have that group of mates who all went to see the the, the band. He didn't go and see him again, or didn't buy their records anymore. So, there you go, that band have got a three-year career, and that's pretty much what they, they sort of had, and I think that's replicated even now sometimes, that you will find a band who you get into in your first term, and you follow them, and there's a three-year cycle, and then you sort of, when you, do you see what I mean, that there's a certain audience that then stops buying the records. Yeah, that's true. There's a build, first-year They, they just a first grow up with build. them
3: or grow out of them, and, yeah. and there's no one to, 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 to inherit that. No, absolutely. Exactly.
0: Uh, one of the questions is uh, from uh, from Walker One Eight Two here. While well, you're talking about Carter, he said Carter were better than Oasis. Discuss mm. Oasis. I'll, I'll I'll add his supplementary argument here. Oasis single handedly destroyed indie and replaced it with something supposedly bigger, brighter, and better. I would argue that what came before swayed Carter and My bloody Valentine, etc., were far more sophisticated than the lumpen knees-up pub rock served up by the Gallaghers.
2: Do you think he's not a fan? He's not a fan at all. It's hard it. stuff. Not, not I think fan. Walker
0: 182 is holding his lapels. He and, is.
2: <laughs> As he says, Walker is brandishing his cigar.
3: Ladies and gentlemen, and the jury. I, of I put it to you. Yes. <laughs> nay, nay, no further questions, Miller. <laughs> nay, <laughs> nay. Brox, nay. <laughs> Be
2: afraid, Oasis. Be very afraid. <laughs> You're with us. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. It's, it is quite a good point, though, isn't it? I, was, I sometimes think about this. Did Britpop do more harm than good? Um, because I think there was certainly, I mean, I, I've seen, but, you know, we all did quite well out of it, really, and there was a lot of good stuff, certainly that first wave of uh, bands. I think were really good, and, and they brought that sort of pop music to a whole bigger... Audience, I think, at a time when it was threatening to become, you know, quite cliquey again and a little bit underground and, and insubstantial and unimportant culturally, so Britpop changed all that and put us, you know, put put. Well, you were on the nine o'clock news when you were the Blur versus Oasis chart battle and stuff. But I think a lot of the things which happened, it's more about you know the industry and their reaction because once the first wave of Britpops did, Britpop bands did really well. Of course, the industry went out and signed a lot more because they thought, what if? the audience like this, then they'll probably like the same thing. So let's go and find some things which are a bit like it. But isn't then... the charge, my lud, that there's usually leveled <laughs> at the aforementioned
3: Defender Oasis, no supplementary. who <laughs> shall hearing after be referred to as Band A, um, wasn't it that they were fantastically derivative? I mean, it, it, it's that the core structure. I remember interviewing Noel for Mojo. Mag- I love Oasis, I have to mm. say. I can't help it. I'm sorry I was there at that a story A gig you were probably at when they, mm, the first yeah. one when they put their first single out and I interviewed oh. Noel and I was absolutely mesmerised by the fact that he was so honest about everything and I would say to him I thought I had a bit of a scoop I said I, don't I love your record but I also know the Pink Floyd the Beatles very well and the Kinks and all these other acts and, and I, can, I can tell you I can tell you because I know the chords to these songs that you have simply taken these chord sequences he said yeah and what? What's your p- what point are you making? I just, well, that is my that is my point. These are not your songs, you know. And uh, I mean, I'm exaggerating slightly, but not much. He was perfectly happy to say that he had stolen sections of songs and simply bolted the chassis mm. onto the bridge or something else, and that's right And that's right. And that was that is the main charge because. Your, the groups that you were writing so enthusiastically about, the enemy and, and, mm. and Slate, a lot of them were more original by a country mile. And no, Oasis—that's the, that's, that's, that's the thing that people were most upset about. But
2: bands like that obviously still exist. I think the, but they don't exist at the same level of o- Oasis. And I think once. It seemed to set an, an, an unnaturally high bar for a lot of bands to follow. And then, of course, you know a band comes along who aren't as talented as Oasis and demand £100,000 to sign to a label, which means you have to sell 300,000 albums to make that money back. So who are we talking about? The Verve? Well, it's name names. No, <laughs> no, not the Verve, because the Verve was very cheap, I think, because the Verve had been around for quite they some time. They were very good. Yeah, yeah and they were very good. But it's, you know, it's, in, it's even past Gene and, and Sleeper and those bands, which I would describe as the second wave. It's the bands probably after that. Um, who you know, were were thinking, well, you know the record, the record company will pay 100 grand, so let's take 100 grand out of them. Do something.
0: you think the fact is that if either Blur or Oasis had made it in a big way overseas, we wouldn't be having this conversation at all? Because Britpop is seen as something that was very big in Britain mm. and didn't really mean much anywhere else. And the natural tra- trajectory of brands from these islands is you make it here, mm. And then you yeah. go somewhere else, and you make it there, and you, you stay fresh if you make it in America, because they then return yeah. to Britain, and they are bigger stars. But we than don't. They were. We don't like. We don't like
2: British bands who become
0: popular in America. Well, no, Coldplay aren't doing too badly. Out, but no it? one.
2: But uh, you know, you two I, I, are I, not
0: I, British, but you know,
2: I, from these islands, I if, suppose. If I stood up, if you know, if, if I um, stood up on stage. Uh, tonight at the um, at art not art rock at the Buffalo Bar, who's ever promoting that tonight, where I'm going. If I stood up in between the uh, support band and the headline band and said, "I, Steve Lamack' am a Coldplay fan," the booze would be ringing. Around. You'd be hear those booze at the bottom of Highbury tubes But that's honestly. the fun <laughs> of being in the Buffalo Bar,
0: isn't yeah. it, Steve? You know, that that's, that's the that contrariness of India that's yeah. fine. But you know, but don't, generally don't, speaking, don't people you think,
2: like the idea of big stars. Say, yeah, well, yeah, I don't know. Would you like? Would you have liked the Stone Roses? and the memory of the Stone Roses, as much if they hadn't been our thing. They'd become huge in America. You wouldn't
0: remember them, because they'd still be around. They um, would still be playing. I don't know. Do you know, it's funny. I was going to that. abandoned, made it
2: in America, and they broke
3: up. Because the, 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 the general pattern is, that, and this is something that I, I don't think you ever grow out of, which is the point you're making, I think, which is that you resent having to share those people with other Mm. people you know and and, uh, I mean I've got over it because there are various groups that I've followed all the way through who I still absolutely adore Bruce Springsteen the E Street Band is one of them I now have to share him as I go to Glastonbury with 80,000 people Mm. but I I still have to say that it was one of the greatest shows I have ever seen Mm. in my life admittedly I was right underneath the stage (laughs) three and a half hours um, and I had a small bottle of vodka. But, oh. you know, but, yeah. but it was. Yeah, yeah. So I, I kind of, there are exceptions, but I, there is that general thing, which must be true of you, there must be a cut off point where you think these people have got too big for Steve Lamack to be able to do with them
2: well. To be honest, it's, sometimes it's not, it's, it's not the fact that they, they get big, they just go bad. Because, like, you know, so there's who's, nothing that. has got big who hasn't gone bad? Who hasn't gone? Yeah. back Well, I am. You know, I, mean, I am going to stand Hello. up now and go. I, I am a Coldplay fan. I didn't like album well, three. What's right. three? I four. saw Coldplay at the O2.
3: Twenty thousand people there.
2: Thought it was brilliant. Yeah. No, me too. And I, I thought it was great gig. There's not. So there's I'm there's a not, not played blue. the
3: harmonica. Were you there at night?
2: Yeah. Yeah,
0: it was very good. well up in the yeah, yeah. up in the balcony? Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean somebody like that, but there's not, there's not many of them. I d- I'm
0: going to give you one example of one group actually did come from these islands, and they're slightly earlier than what we're talking about, who did make it overseas and are still together and are still popular The Cure. Yep. Yes, good yeah. point. The Cure, be- uh, th- there's nowhere in the world where The Cure aren't quite big, isn't that true? Yeah. Probably, yeah. You, you know, the, because, and they've done that through touring, just well, the, the, consistently. Big, big
3: in America means career for life, doesn't it? If you, it if you don't make it in America does. and
0: you stop selling records here, you're over. Yeah. yeah, whereas bands who go from here to America, try for two tours, it doesn't work, they come back, they're a bit fed up, actually, because they've seen, you know, how are you going to keep on the down on the farm now that they've seen Broadway, you know. Mm. And, and they're resentful, and they fall out with each other. Yeah. Whereas bands who've made it in America, <coughs> swallow their resentments, keep going, because, you know, success is <coughs> what is what drives all these people after a while. A bit connected with this, actually, a question from Face. Oh, all there the all great thinkers. Who's um, <laughs> the best band you've seen that didn't make it, and the worst band
2: you've seen who did? Oh, that's really difficult, isn't it? Um, the best band who didn't make it—that's oh, one of the ones that I'm going to. You see, that's going to be haunting me for the rest of the day. Now, I've seen—I mean, obviously, I've seen. I, I mean, it depends on what you count as making it. If you—you know—a record in the chart... people probably, on probably the gave a single of the week to the enemy. <laughs> I don't know I don't know about that. I went to see uh, I went to see The Twang um who obviously had a modicum of success with that first album we were on you know Radio 1's playlist and everything and I thought so I that's better that's I better go. The... Mark and I nod oh, so. The yeah, Twang right. <laughs> right. Yeah, so they were robbed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they should but, have their moment. But they but they were uh, I mean they were all over the, you know the cover of the enemy and everything but um I thought I better go and see this band. Uh, and uh, somebody somebody had advertised them to me as it's like uh, it's like Mike Skinner fronting Oasis. And I was like, OK. So I went to Coco, club, It might be in a club enemy night, and was told, you know, they'll be on at half past ten, quarter to twelve. They eventually went on, by which oh, time, dude. you know, I'd spent £20 on vodka, which is about three vodkas at Coco. Yeah, and yeah. Really and, um, and, they came, and they came on, and they weren't Mike Skinner fronting Oasis. They were Frank Skinner fronting Flowered Up. No. <laughs> <laughs> But they were, they, I mean, bless them, they, they sort of, I, I bumped into one of them once and it seemed like you know, a nice chap, but it was shocking, I could not, and every. you do feel like when you pick up a copy of the paper, uh, the enemy or something like that, we see a picture of them in a magazine, people raving on about them, you, feel
3: like, you know, waving your fist this, so in you anger at the, 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 the magazine. The white
2: knuckles of oh. Steve Lemack indicated, he may not have gone over this yet. <laughs> Yeah, but it was, I mean, I suppose in t- I mean it's, it's weird, isn't it? In terms of bands, I think all sorts of great right, I mean, there was a um, there was a there was a guy there was a singer called Paul Howard, an amazing singer who um, I met when I was first when I was living in Harlow and working on the Harlow Gazette, who had one of the greatest male voices, you know, in a kind of folk punk type of way that I think I've ever heard. Really soulful Irish voice. Um, did one tour supporting Tanita Tickerum I think, and then, uh, and that was it. That was his break that never came, but he had an amazing voice. And I've got all his stuff and all his demos and everything on cassette at home. And I sometimes get them out and think, if only this, this man really should have been a star. See? But every, every week, A band probably splits up that should have done some something better.
0: I I don't wish you to be any more uh, your postman to be any more you know laden down with (laughs) stuff than he (laughs) no doubt already already is. But you know you get sent
2: loads of demos. Do you listen to them all? You can't listen to them all now. Um, How do you choose which ones you listen to? um, Well, I start with people who spelt my name right. There, good good hint there. And um, and from there on. I, think, I don't well, read just... letters that start, dear sir, madam, anymore. No, <laughs> but I've just had enough of that. I'm yeah. too busy. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, it's interesting you say that because you do you, you get the feeling that a lot of people are just blanket bombing everyone, and you think, well, I wonder how many other people are opening this same. Um, this same demo this morning. And I wonder why they thought that, you know, sending it to Trevor Nelson and me was a good idea. There must be one of us better than the other, or better suited to listening to that particular demo. Do you think Peel got um, a bit obsessed with that? Because I
3: remember interviewing once, and he said he... And I think he would, he, even if it wasn't true, he wanted it to be true. He said he tried to open everything. Yeah, oh, yeah, he was haunted. Wrong, yeah. haunted. Yeah. He said, he'd go to bed at night. And I was really touched by this. And I thought I don't think it was affecting the store. Haunted by the idea and that little unopened jiffy bag over there might be the next whatever it would have been his case, fall or undertones, you know. And he just, even if he just put it in for 30 seconds and decided it, it was no good, then at least he'd had a go. But what he was worried about was that there might be some extraordinary career. And I would say to him, obviously, well, if there's an extraordinary career and the record was really that good, then clearly someone else is going to stumble across it. Don't feel it's all entirely up to you. Yeah, well, you must feel a bit no, it.
2: No, there's, well, there's an insecurity as well, because obviously, you know, if you, 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 want to, you want to be as informed as you possibly can, so you want to listen yeah. to as much as you can. But... Now people are sending you links to websites and they're yeah. sending you the physical. You can do as much as you can. I mean, I'll do seven hours, basically, on a Sunday, pretty much. Six, seven hours on a Sunday. And then the rest of the... T- take us through listen, your Sunday. Come on.
0: Just, just listen, just Saturday you're going your to see Colchester. Yeah. So, Sunday. Go on. What time do you get up? Um,
2: oh, you know, probably nine-ish or something. But I'd Bacon start, crisps. I'd start about ten. Bacon yeah. crisps. <laughs> breakfast, Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, sit ha- sit have a, down, have a bath, listen to Five Live. Sit down about um, ten, half past ten, with the sun. Right. a. <laughs> That's what <laughs> but, I like to think. Do you, do you know, I, I, I actually get to that point where I'll get to, I'll treat myself about three o'clock in Cat the after- afternoon. Yeah, and um yeah, and you just you just start and one after the other. One, I'm interrupted. Well, I've got, I've got um, one oh. of those double CD players, so, you, so you're listening to one while you're putting the other one in, and then um, <laughs> there you go, that one's no good. So, so How many play. New bands
3: would you listen to? In one of those sessions.
2: Oh, I, I, I don't know. How many can you get through? It depends. At some point, you will stop because something will be quite good, uh, and then that either goes in the. You know, if, it's, if it's good enough to. You think, no, oh, it might be good enough to play, it goes in one p- pile. If yeah. it's. Uh, I have to listen to it again, I'll put it in that pile. Unfortunately, the I have to listen to it again pile very, very rarely gets listened to no, again you because you're onto on the it. next yeah. sack of mail. Because it literally is a sack of mail, it's yeah. a full sack of mail. And, um, and so sometimes, yeah, you'll get slowed down, or, or, or you might, have, you might find something which is really good. And, and in that case, you will have to play that seven times, you know, over and over and over again because it's just so good. And then after about an hour and a half, you, you start losing your way. You can't tell what's good or bad no, absolutely. anymore. And then you put on a record. Um, which you like, so you can remember, you know, what the standard was. I mean, when I went to, I, mean, I don't know if you went, but um, probably did, um, Peel at uh, Peel Acres, where Peel had his typewriter yes. and his um, and his turntable, and behind him, if he swiveled round in his chair, behind him, he had about twelve Fall albums, which he explained as, when I can't hear anymore, I just turn round, I pull one of these Fall albums out, put it on, and that tells me what the benchmark. That's the Plimsoll line, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, know, of. Yeah. Um, uh, of, of yeah, music. beat that. So, so, so you stop for a bit, then you start. But in the meantime, I'm you know, obviously I'm putting together running orders for right. six music or the Radio Two show, or or I'm trying to. I'm you know, just writing release dates down just so I've got a list of when things are coming out, so I remember to program them in shows and stuff like that, or you know answering emails or. But uh, but even if you can listen
0: to them, do you do you have the kind of, you know, the bandwidth, the kind of emotional openness to listen to stuff after a while? You know, if you're listening to that amount of stuff. Mm. Can you still, you know, is it still fresh to you, or is it... Is no, it well, fresh? this is
2: why so much of it goes in the bin, I think, you know, because some, of, a lot of it, it's all right, that's quite good, that might do something, but it really, but you, the, the whole point of this is you're waiting for the one, you're just waiting for that one, and if, you, if in six hours you get one thing that you go that you want to immediately put on your MP3 player. I mean, there'll be things which are okay and stuff which would be good for the radio and this. But if there's one thing that really makes you feel like a pop music fan again, then everything's worth it, isn't it? It's all been made worthwhile. It is,
3: and I think nobody gets hurt in that process, but I think in the process where you were a singles review, which I remember when I reviewed (laughs) the singles for Smash Hits and New Musical (laughs) (laughs) Express... The trouble with that is you start listening to the pile you write you, you like something so say you write a review and you like something and but after about four or five hours you start to take it out on people you hate I'm sorry yeah. you just, <laughs> I mean I had that awful thing which I think I once talked about in the podcast I was living with Tom Hibbert in that house in, 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 in Hackney <laughs> yes. and there was a girl living there and a boyfriend who had a gun for some reason and Tommy <laughs> used to send Tommy down the bottom of the garden with 12 inch singles there's no <laughs> word of a lie by the way Big and up would go the Thompson Twins doctor doctor I would just put some shells in this thing Bull. <laughs> fucking yeah. well, I think there's a Radio and format up. in that Do you know what? I felt good I felt I put a bit back I felt i like <laughs> I'd, I'd saved the world I well, clearly didn't succeed with Dr. Doctor Doctor It was a huge hit actually But, but I, felt like, I felt I put a bit back
2: you, you, know? Know, you know you know, in The Wire I can't remember which series it is of The Wire But um, when they go outside And they, they crunch the, the can of lager up And then throw it on the roof yeah, Of yeah, the yeah. Uh, police station building yeah and there's a shot at the end of one of the episodes isn't there it was just all these or beer cats. Um, i used to work out of an office where next uh, the next door there was some people working in the music industry and they had the same thing with when cd's or you know 12 inch records came in at the time that they, they didn't like it there was a flat roof just out the back and they just throw it out they just like they throw it out the window and at one point, I went up to the next flight, you know, next flight of stairs, and looked down, and it was just vinyl and CDs, no. just in a huge pile. Of things which they've just gone. This is rubbish. Out the window. Out the window. All by Van de Graaff generator. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> See,
0: it's, it, it's, it's the thing that would still t- take people aback. It's just the amount of this
2: stuff. It's like you say, you yeah. know, you get a sack every day. Uh, well, no, every every week you get a uh, every week you get a sack or a sack and a half. Well, you're getting demos. I mean, on Word, we get about,
3: I suppose, probably between 400 and 430 albums a month, finished CDs. And we probably only get to re- review about 37. Yeah. And in fact, we, just this very process we've been through this morning, yeah.
2: wasn't it? I was just sitting there, just putting stuff on, saying, let's give this a go, it might be yeah. good. And still the best and still the best way for a band to really get noticed um, is if somebody says, oh, have you heard so and and I think a lot of those, you know, Coldplay was, oh, have you heard this band? Um, when I went to see... Oh, it's personal recommendation. Re- yeah, because somebody else has already done part of the hard work for you. I had, you a know? Really,
0: I had a really weird experience of this last night. I get loads and loads of... You know, people send you press releases by email in a way that they would never have done in the days of paper because it would yeah. have cost something. Yeah. And most banned biogs are way too long yeah. and are just full of people going, you know, they're just piling on adjectives as if the thing, they're going to convince you of anything. Last night I was just going to bed, before I went to bed, I checked an email and I got an email from somebody I'd never heard of. He said you like the unthanks you might like this. John Major loves them. <laughs> I'm to follow this link. <laughs> Let's love Rachel Un-thank. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, No, I followed this link, and there was some guy who started a MySpace page for his band, and it was obviously very much at the beginning, and he had a testimonial, supposedly from John Major, which is just completely made up. But it was enough to make me look. Yeah. You know what good. I mean? Yeah. Rather Quite than you don't need loads and loads of testimonials. Oh, yeah. You sort of need one, yeah. even if it's completely fictional. Yeah. You know, that's, it's those kind of hooks. Whereas people think that by piling the communication on... They make the communication better and they very often
2: don't at all. No, absolutely. absolutely. And don't put in cuttings from local papers. I have <laughs> worked on a local paper. I know you write you write nice things about the band because you're gonna bump into them in the high street. That's but, what you do. But also, you yeah. know, the,
0: even national papers, you know, the, the rave reviews they're ten a penny yeah, of absolutely yeah, anything. And you know, it's a question of, of what appeals to you actually. So you like the unfanks, at least says, I know something about you. Yeah. And therefore, this might might fit, you know. Now, various people are asking the same
2: question. Lenny Law is one of them, which is, Mm. how's your hearing? (laughs) Do you know, I went to, uh, I actually did um, a programme for um, uh, the BBC. About um, about the perils of because obviously um, hear, your hearing's under attack. If you're if, I mean if you're 16 now, you, you know you probably play you probably play your Xbox with Xbox Live with your mates, so you've got headphones on, yeah. You've got headphones on all the time, you know. And, um, so this was a sort of guarded warning to the to the youth of today. You know, look after your ears. So they sent me to um, they sent me to have a, a proper hearing test, and yeah, we did the hearing test. And the, the woman at the end of it said, uh, you know, given given the um, the amount of these you know, loud gigs and the fact that you do wear headphones sometimes obviously when you're queuing records during the show or uh, when you're DJing out and about um, she said, uh, you know what, your hearing's not bad and I was just about to go, yeah and she said, uh, yeah, your hearing's not bad paused, for a man of your age <laughs> <laughs> I thought, I don't want to be a man of my age no. I want to be a man of somebody else but apparently not too bad yeah. I lost a bit at the top, top yeah. end <laughs> that's about it have you had your own? So any band,
3: any band with, with very high treble?
2: Uh, you know, you, there's no point of, high life records no point Well no, the you. more treble the better. If it's got real vixen, oh, because oh, you, oh, okay. you turn Because basically I'm turning the treble up, aren't I? Oh I suppose right at the top end, yeah, you I'd miss out. But yeah, yeah Yeah. We're, yeah. We're, yeah. Have you but had the yours tested? The dog next door likes it, it,
0: yeah. I had mine tested a few years ago. And I fully expected it to be terrible. Because I'm I'm aware that it's deteriorated. Mm. Uh, and he tested me and said you're remarkably good and I think that probably is it's probably similar to you I think we're used to listening to stuff yeah. and therefore I think we listen very actively and also and therefore when he gives you the test you're probably better at the test than a lot of people yeah. with, with less equipment I'm just thinking yeah. of this
3: them crooked vultures show and to see oh God, London's yeah. Hammersfield Apollo and our website the word was full of people saying I almost ought to take legal action against this really? this is so loud and they feel it's their right don't they and I mean, even, even people who are in Enjoying it, we're leaving. Yeah, and oh, so we wow. we uh, we were prepared for this. And I'm sitting next to my old friend Peter Blegvad who word readers for used to do a wonderful cartoon for us. And Bleggs has got earplugs in, just the normal foam ones, yeah. and he's twing with you he's pushing them around because he's worked out that if you move them like a little mini joystick you get different dimensions of sound <laughs> <laughs> he's effectively mixing in stereo <laughs> with, graphic with these little tiny bits of yellow foam rubbers to out of his ears I was very happy thoroughly enjoyed
2: it you know couldn't hear a word I was saying to him but he could hear the group I know. think I think you, you, you do because of your experience at it as well obviously you don't go and stand right in front of the speakers for a start and you know where to also I, I hate it when people try and shout in your ear if anything's going to perforate your eardrum if someone Someone's shouting over the noise of a very yeah. loud band. Because yeah. if, if they're loud, uh, if the band's loud and they're even louder, right next to your ear, that can't be doing you
0: no, it can't be much doing good. good. So have right. you mentioned this to your mate John Paul Jones, that the, his group might be I didn't actually. Loud. I did talk to him after the, after the show, but I,
3: I didn't think probably it was the right time to say that was too loud. It was just kind of too loud. I mean, but that's a whole... That's a whole not necessarily led up in were very loud, but I think Foo Fighters are incredibly loud. There's something about that music, that type of music, which... The people playing it think it demands to be played at ludicrous volume. Or else it's
2: not having the effect. One of the the bands that I I wasn't expecting it, but the first time... Because I'd heard the I'd obviously heard the demos, but I went to see Doves play in London for the first time, and that was I think the Bullingdon in Kentish Town. Doves, they were the loudest. One of the loudest. They were the loudest band I saw that year, literally to the point where the G-force was throwing yeah. back against the you know yeah. back wall. That was so loud. And the first time, even when we were talking about you know can you be loud at a festival, even they I think in the John Peel tent or whatever it was, the new band tent, the first time they played Glastonbury, they were even loud in there. Proper, let's turn it up loud. Yeah, yeah. But there's
0: Rock and roll loud, and then there's clubbing loud, isn't there?
2: Clubbing loud is louder. It's louder, because it's a a confined space,
0: I think.
3: Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. I want to know about The Lurkers, because I just asked... Oh, right, yeah. The
3: Lurkers, I think, was your first group. Was it the first group you ever saw? First geek I ever saw. So do you have that pathetic... I'm sure anyone listening will feel the same way. I do, uh, with with, uh, uh, Brinsley Schwartz and Soft Machine. I have a pathetic romantic attachment to those groups. Oh, there yeah. is nothing those groups can ever do wrong, in my eye, because they were the first groups I ever saw walk onto a rock and roll station when I was 15 at the Roundhouse.
2: Yeah, Did uh, you feel the same about the Lurkers? Well, yeah, I mean, I suppose to a certain extent. I well, to the point where um, I actually went to see... The first time I saw the Lurkers was, I think it was September 78, Chelmsford-Chancellor Hall. Um, <laughs> but I went to (laughs) Hall. Yeah, of course it was. Used to do wrestling uh, and punk gigs. That was it. And um, but then I think it was uh, at the beginning of. um, It was the beginning of. Last year, I think it was January or February last year, I went to see the Lurkers again, supporting the Buzzcocks. Fantastic. And not a single member of the Lurkers on stage that not night... so fantastic. ...had <laughs> been on stage at the Chancellor Hall. Oh, no.
0: So you're cr- saying the Lurkers are like the drifters
2: now. They're still going with... Well, kind it's of a strange old, third old story. generation. Because um, Arthur, who was the original bassist in the, in the Lurkers, oh, had, f- had left by the time um, Fulham Fallout came out, and the, uh, the Lurkers at that point, you know, the, the original Lurkers were doing... Um, this tour that I saw, but Arthur is the one who's got the Lurkers back together again, and the rest of the band are all fine about it because the rest of the band don't want you know to, don't want to go back out on tour, and uh, he does you know he wants to keep the songs alive because he yeah, writes some of them, so he you know takes the, this Lurkers around, but. I must admit, I was, getting, I was still getting quite carried away, even though the band was completely different. It was still the lurkers, and <laughs> still the lurkers' songs, and it was. Still, I hope, I really hope they do this one. It connects with something extraordinary, yeah. primitive. It's never going to go away. But brilliantly, he said, um, he said, oh, "Well, we're going to do. A, we're not just doing old songs tonight. We're going to do a new song, that, um, which was written in 1993." <laughs> <laughs> So comparatively new, <laughs> straight to the bar. But it was great. And yeah. yeah, I've got you know, I've got all the, I've got all the singles. I've got every, you know, I've got all the singles, all the reissues, everything. I, I mean, one of the greatest moments in my life at the, the NME was when um, one of the lurkers phoned up and said, "I understand you were a fan of ours back in the seventies. Um, we're um, back together and doing a, a sort of live record. Will you write the sleeve notes?" <laughs> and I thought. Oh, I've always wanted to meet the lurkers. I've always. Fantastic. So, I, so he said, we can't pay you much. And I said, you don't have to. All I want you to do is come to the pub next to the enemy and have a drink with me. That's all I want. You're a cheap so, date. So, yeah. So, so all, the, so the lurkers all turned up. And perfect. I'm just, um, just chatted away. You know, bought each other some drinks, and that was the, that was it. I'm mean, trying to a show off.
0: Show off to your showbiz mates that you yeah, knew got, the lurkers. I've got the lurkers. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. Remember well, the, know, the lurkers. I know. I know. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
2: <laughs> somebody's in, somebody's interviewing Sean Ryder around the corner. You know. I mean, obviously everything's moved on. But it, yeah. <laughs> but Fraser's first gig. Come on, Fraser, quickly. First gig. tyler Wilcox. I don't feel oh, the same oh. way as Steve does about the No. tyler
0: Wilcox. Where? Leicester the Montford Hall.
3: Oh, been there. Dave, oh, yeah. do you gamble in Austria? No. <laughs> <laughs> good Is it Billy Al Jolson <laughs> Al Jolson <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was cheap, wasn't it? We just had to. Just, I saw the. I saw the yeah. net was, was just, you know the goalkeeper yeah. was off <laughs> the bar, yeah.
2: <laughs> standing up. I'll have a pop. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Not playing. No, good okay, fun. <laughs> Steve, so, look, thanks very much for coming in, as they say on the radio.
2: No, thank you. For, uh, where, where can uh, we hear you on the radio? Uh, you can hear us, uh, uh, six music, digital six music, four till seven, Monday to Friday, Radio 2 on a Wednesday night. That's all new stuff, pretty much, apart from one reissue a week, uh, 11 o'clock on a Wednesday night. Or have a look at the website, because you, you can listen to the shows online at com.
1: This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk Hold up!